Good morning. Certainly good to see you all today. I appreciate Brother Josh calling on me. It's an honor and privilege to be with you. And to stand before you is also an honor and privilege and of course a, a very uh, weighty responsibility. So please pray for me. The words of that last song are so poignant and especially the image of, of the Maker, the Creator, crying out as we sang earlier, it is finished, and then bowing his precious head. What a contrast. <laughs> uh, the same God that could speak things into existence, to voluntarily relinquish his own life for sinners like us. I hope that we never get over that, that it always affects us when we sing about it, when we talk about it, when we read about it. I'd like to read to you this morning, starting in John chapter 3, from the very words of Jesus Himself speaking to Nicodemus. as a man of the Pharisees, a ruler of the Jews, and he came to Jesus by night. And he said in verse 2, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, You must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Verse 8 there, of course, being the words of the Savior, being very emphatic in my mind, the Lord is saying that everyone that is born of the Spirit is born, as it were, as the wind blows and where it listeth. We were uh, having some bad weather Wednesday evening over in West Alabama, as we frequently do, unfortunately. Sometimes I wonder why in the world did we move there, um, but the Lord's been providential in that and in His care and has blessed us in many ways living in that area of the country, but, uh, but everything blows uh, from the west from Mississippi, unfortunately, into our area of Alabama, and we get a lot of storms, tornadoes, that sort of thing, and we were uh, standing in our house, um, we'd, I'd been praying all afternoon since I got home from work that the Lord would spare us because there were bad winds, and we looked out and the wind was just whistling through the trees behind our house and bending the pine trees and the water oak trees in such a way that I thought, surely one will break. And one of the younger children came up and said, wow, look at that wind. One of the older children was standing behind him and they said, That's, you're not seeing the wind. You can't see the wind. You only see the effect of the wind. And that's true. And the Lord uses that to describe the spiritual birth here. And Nicodemus, of course, needs to understand this because Nicodemus is as we all are naturally born, and the nature that we receive from our parents, as much as we love and honor them, but they having been descended from Adam, we receive from them a sin nature. When Adam fell, uh, the future humanity that was uh, potential there that was, that was in him when he sinned um, died in him. And so we were given a sin nature when we were born. But the Lord says here to see the kingdom of God, to enter the kingdom of God, which has timely and eternal implications. We won't get too far into that today. But to be aware of the kingdom of God, to desire it and to enter it, you must be born again. So there has to be something imparted to you that was not given you when you were born, as you read here from your mother's womb. But it's something that comes sovereignly from the Spirit of God by the grace of God. Now, we believe, and the Scripture teaches, that this is done sovereignly. You know, those, those trees that were blowing in the storm that we were witnessing the other day didn't ask to get blown in that manner, but they were helpless before that wind. And just up the road from us, a bunch of them were blown down. So when I drove to work the next morning, I couldn't see the wind. The wind had gone hours before, but I sure saw the effects because a lot of it was still laying in the road in front of me. And people were out cleaning it up and cutting up limbs and things like that. There's a power in the wind that we don't control. We don't harness, but we witness and we understand that it is there. 
And the Lord uses that to describe the effect of His Spirit on the heart of one of His children. The confusion, I think, comes sometimes in Christianity if we're not careful, not so much in believing that we must be born again. I think most Christians understand that. It's the mechanism by which we're born again that confuses people sometimes. And they think, well, you must do this to be born again, or you must do this to be born again. I think the Lord, what the Lord is telling us here is that it is sovereignly done by God. And we see the effect on our lives. We hear the effect in the, in the, in the mouths, hopefully, of other people who have been born again when they profess Christ and when they just have a desire to join the church, when they've heard the gospel. But the initial effect is of God, and it is by the power of God. And we see examples of this in the Scripture. You know, we understand that if the Lord is saying, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit, then we understand that the Lord means everyone is born again the same way. We're all born again the same way. You know, there are different denominations. There are different doctrines in the world. And if you're seeking to understand a mechanism of how a person is born again, depending on what church you go to, you may get told different things. You may be instructed to do different things to be born again. Okay, in the New Testament churches. So I'll offer you this this morning. If we believe that salvation, the new birth, is by the grace of God, without the efforts of man, without the uh, participation of man, then there should be test cases in the Bible of that occurring, of someone being filled with the Spirit um, to overflowing and it affecting their lives outside the preaching of the gospel. And there are great test cases in the Scripture because as we are now in the latter days, some 2,000 years after the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, we understand that there were at least, depending on how you read genealogies and what you believe about the time before Christ came, there's some 4,000 to 4,500 years at least of human history prior to Christ. What about those folks? If we can understand what happened to those folks who were children of God, and who are recorded in the Scripture, it might help us understand something about our own birth and the Spirit of God that is in us and how that occurs. And Peter writes about that in 1 Peter, the first chapter of the ninth verse. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, Jesus says in, in uh, Luke 16 that until uh, John were the law and the prophets, and since that time the kingdom of God is preached or the kingdom of heaven is preached and every man presseth into it. So what were the prophets and what were the law speaking of? They were speaking of the grace of God and that the revelation would come in more fullness to us. But in verse 11 he says, Searching water, what manner of time? The Spirit of Christ which was in them. So the Spirit of Christ was in the Old Testament prophets. It was in the men who God moved upon with His Spirit to write down His words. They had the Spirit, not just of God per se, or not a some secondary spirit or some influence. They had the Spirit of Christ. That's amazing to think about. It answers a lot of questions that you might have about how did people get saved before Jesus came? And before we had the Gospel and we understood all the beautiful things that we sang about this morning, they had the same Spirit of God that you and I have, and they were born again the same way when God moved upon their hearts sovereignly by His grace. And they cried out, and they wrote with what knowledge they had through that Spirit. And it did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. So do we see the movement of the Spirit in the Old Testament? Certainly we do. We see the movement of the Spirit in the very first verses of the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 1, in verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Now there's no sin at this point. There's just no life either. Okay, It's void. There's nothing going on. And darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And that, that verb, move there, uh, Rakab in the, in the uh, ancient text referred to a fluttering or of movement. It's a picture of the wind. It's the picture of the Spirit of God moving up on the face of the waters like the wind moved across our property uh, last week and just and we saw the effect of it. And what immediately follows that is God says, let there be light and there was light. When the Spirit of God moves 
life results. And you know what happened if, of course, as the Lord creates Adam and Eve, He creates all these things, and we read about that in the next couple chapters. We won't read all that, of course, this morning. But there's a special creation uh, called man where the Lord forms him out of the... Uh, the, uh, the, the soil of the ground, he breathes life into him. And so man is not like the animal where he just has a, a fleshly being and a spirit, but he also now has a living eternal soul. So he's a special creation and God gives him one law to obey. And of course, they, they break it. And Adam you know, takes of the fruit, they're plunged into sin. And you, you, you read all about that in the next couple of chapters. But what's remarkable to me when you get to chapter 3, after they've sinned and taken of the fruit, in verse 7, the eyes of them both were opened and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So I can picture them after they've sinned, they realize they're naked, they make some garments, and they're just walking around doing their thing. But something happens next. And they heard the voice of the Lord God. Now they hear the voice before He actually says any words. Okay? And if you believe the words of Christ today that are written here in red in this book that we're reading this morning, the reason that you can believe the words is because prior to hearing the words, you heard the voice, the power of God. John chapter 5, Jesus says that. He elaborates over in the New Testament. He says the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. Because He's described there in the first chapter of John as the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and there was not anything made that was not made by Him. And John goes on over in 1 John, the first chapter, to witness that that Word was flesh, and that they saw Him, and they heard Him, and they handled of the living Word of God. Jesus is the living Word. And when His presence moves through, things change. What changed here with Adam and Eve when the voice of God comes through before He says any actual words? They heard the voice walking. How does a voice walk? Because the voice is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He is the Word. He spoke creation into existence and He comes here to His fallen children in His voice, in His presence. And what happens? Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Oh, I bet they did. <laughs> I bet I would too. And I'll tell you what, sometimes when I sin, there's still a side of me that wants to go hide under a rock. Because I believe I've heard the voice. And I've also heard the words instructing me. Here's the movement of the Spirit of God in the Old Testament. Convicting them of their sin. Oh, they're walking around fine in their fig leaves until the voice shows up. And you can walk around in your hypocrisy and self-righteousness and the things that we use to clothe our flesh and nice clothes and nice car and pretend like you're all great. But when the voice shows up and the voice moves across your heart and you're born again and you feel the conviction and you then you hear those words. Oh, it means something different to you then. Because that is the Spirit of God bringing it to life in you. We won't spend a lot of time here, but there are numerous other examples if... If you look with me in Genesis chapter 41, we read about a man here who had the Spirit of God and it was witnessed not just in his own life, but those around him saw this. And this is in the account of Joseph. And you will recall, we won't go through the whole story of Joseph today, but you know he was sold into slavery in Egypt. And he goes through many trials and tribulations, but God providentially raises him up. And Pharaoh has a dream and Joseph is able to interpret it and it is the salvation of the entire nation. But in verse 37 of Genesis 41, and the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, can we find such an one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? Did the Old Testament prophets and saints have the Spirit of Christ like Peter wrote? Well, of course they did if Peter said it because it's the inspired Word of God. But here we see a pagan king whose nation literally worshipped hundreds of gods but when a man who has the Spirit of God in him shows up and prophesies to Pharaoh, Pharaoh realizes we may have a hundred gods and worship the sun and the moon and the crocodiles, but this man has the Spirit of the God, capital S, capital G, Spirit in him, or he could never do these things. And a pagan king recognizes that and elevates him and he clothes him in linen, which is what the priests of that nation wore, and he gives him a seal on his finger as a king and a chain of gold around his neck of royalty because he recognizes in this man is something special. It is the Spirit of God. They might have worshipped a lot of gods, 
But they recognize the presence of the one God when it comes in and, and accompanied in the heart of His servant who is able to prophesy these things. And then that's the Spirit of Christ that Peter was writing about. And you see that lots of places. You see it over in uh, pe- people worshiping uh, false gods, but recognizing that there's one true God. We see that in Acts 17, chapter, right on Mars Hill, when Paul goes and begins to preach to them. And he says, I see you have an inscription here on this statue to the unknown God. Let me tell you who the unknown God is. In 2 Kings, the fifth chapter, when Naaman comes over uh, to be healed of his leprosy by Elisha and he obeys and he goes and dips in the Jordan River seven times and he comes back to Elisha and, and uh, he says, well, can I give you this? Can I give you this? I'm so excited to be healed. And Elisha says, no, you know, go back to your home. You're fine. And he says, well, let me get a couple mules burdens worth of earth to take back to my home so that I'll be able to worship the one true God on my own, own land with some of the dirt from the nation of Israel. But he says, would you forgive me when I have to go into the temple of Remen with my master and have to bow to him? Because I know that's a false god. And Elisha says, go in peace. See, even people that have had their minds tuned toward the worship of false gods can understand that there's a true God when the Spirit of God shows up and directs them in that manner. In Exodus, the 31st chapter, you see the power of God in just taking someone and and you're going to notice many times when the Spirit of God in the Old Testament shows up in a person, it's also accompanied by wisdom. Pharaoh said that about Joseph. He's full of wisdom. Okay, In Exodus 31, they're getting ready to build the uh, tabernacle to worship God. God is giving these Israelites now coming out of Egypt a prescribed form of worship here, not some hundreds of years later. And the Lord spake unto Moses saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of her of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God and wisdom. So here God calls somebody by name out of the nation of Israel and fills them up with the Spirit of God and fills them up with wisdom. Gives them wisdom. There are many examples of this in Scripture. For sake of time, though, I think one that's, that's just very kind of compelling, you might say, and telling, we find over in 1 Samuel, the 10th chapter. And here we are again, some more hundreds of years later, just moving through the Old Testament. And here we're reading the account of Samuel anointing Saul to be the first king, earthly king, that is, over the nation of Israel. And in 1 Samuel 10, in verse 9, we read this, And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, speaking of Saul here now, God gave him another heart. God gave Saul another heart. I believe God's given us another heart this morning to have a desire to come here and worship Him instead of being wherever else you could be today. You have a heart that wants to serve God. I mean, unless your parents drug you here. But if they did, they mean well, children. And thank them for it and honor them for it. You'll be very grateful someday. But God gave him another heart in verse 10. And when they came thither to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him. And this again, notice capital S, capital G, the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among the prophets. But what is this Spirit? What did Peter say that these prophets had in the Old Testament? Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ came upon him and he prophesied. And it came to pass when all that knew him before time saw that. (laughs) Get it? The people that knew him before were like, whoa! It is as if they're saying, hey, a storm just blew through and, and, and the entire landscape has changed. And that was true in the life of Saul. The Spirit of God has come. And everybody that knew Saul before is like, whoa, what happened to Saul? Is Saul also among the prophets? Yes, because now Saul has the Spirit of Christ. Another great prophet that we read about in the Old Testament had the Spirit of God. And speaking of King David here, now of course, you know, none of these men were perfect. They're like us. They're sinners. They're just saved by grace the same way we are. God sends His Spirit to their hearts. Did a gospel preacher come to them and tell them about the things that we sang about this morning? No. Because the fullness of revelation had not come yet and they didn't know those things yet. They believed and worshipped with what they knew, but they had the Spirit of Christ. In Psalm 51, David writes this, the prophet of God after his sin with Bathsheba. Verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. David also had the Spirit of God 
And he gives us some of the details about how God did that and perhaps when God did that over in Psalm 139, which he also wrote. A Psalm of David. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Verse 1, Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. Were there ever times in your life maybe where you ran from the Lord, you got involved in things you shouldn't have, and yet the goodness of God led you to repentance. He drew you back. He constrained you. He brought you back to His house. He brought you back to bow down and worship Him. Thank God for that. That's not an accident, you understand. That's God compassing you about and knowing your ways and knowing your thoughts, but knowing also that you are His and bringing you back to Him. For there's not a word in my tongue, but lo, Lord, Thou knowest all together. And he goes on and he tells about how he can't get away from God. If I ascend into heaven, Thou art there. If I go to hell, Thou art there. Verse 7, Whither shall I flee from Thy Spirit? The reason David can't flee from the Spirit of God is the Spirit of God is in him. And it is leading him and guiding him and directing him as surely as it did Joseph and Joshua and all these other people that we can read about in the Old Testament. Read through Judges. Almost every one of those Judges, or many of them at least, when they go out to battle and they're, and they're just wiping out the enemy, you'll find many times it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon them and they slew this many people or they did this or they did that by the power of God. And he's saying, I, I could go to, if I go to heaven, you're there. If I, if I go to hell, which, you know, in the graves, so to speak, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, I can't get away from God. Even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. And he goes on and says in verse 13, For thou hast possessed my reins, the, the reins, the inner part of the mind, the mind being the, the juncture between the spirit and the flesh. And you have the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins in Ephesians chapter 2. And it says, We're in time past, we walked according to the course of this world, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the lust of the flesh and of the mind. Because the mind directs the flesh what to do. There's always a struggle between you know, self-control. Well, why is it that your mind is tended toward good things? Because you have the Spirit of God directing your mind. You have what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is the mind of Christ. And so the mind is directing the reins here. And it was directing the reins even in his mother's womb. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee for I am fearfully, wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. The inner, deep, eternal part of me knows this. Why? Because you've been taught by the Spirit of Christ. And again, this is a thousand years before Christ walks the earth in flesh. David's writing this a thousand years before the birth of Christ, give or take maybe 50 years or so. Verse 17 is very powerful. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, there are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. I can't get away from the Lord. I couldn't get away from Him if I wanted to. And I'm glad about it. <laughs> Aren't you? I wake up and I'm glad He didn't let me go. I'm glad He won't let me go. I'm glad that I'm in His hand and no man can pluck me from His hand. His Father is greater than all. No man can pluck me from His Father's hand. My name was written in the wounds as we read this morning. Could a woman forget her suckling child? Yeah, they may forget, but I will not forget thee. Thy walls are continually before me. Thy names are written in the palm of my hand. We're there. We're His. He's taken care of us. He's given us His Spirit and His thoughts come to us. They're more in number than the sands of the seashore. Think about that. We talked about how He's the living Word, how His voice brings life, how He quickens you by calling you from darkness into life as surely as He called Lazarus out of that grave after you've been dead four days. He speaks to you, He sends His Spirit to you, and He calls you from a state of being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. And why are the thoughts so important? Because as we understand all thought, it is, not, is it not based in language? Think a thought without using language. I challenge you to. You won't be able to do it. I mean, pretty much everybody understands that. But again, the Old Testament saints said it one way. In the New Testament, we get more information. In James chapter 1, James says, Every good and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variables, neither shadow of turning. And oh, thank God that His thoughts to us are without number. You know why? Because it says in the next couple of verses, Of His own will begat He us with the Word of truth. That is the Word of God, the Spirit of God, that flows down from the throne of God. So the thoughts of God, much like our thoughts, as best we can understand God, 
become the language of God, the voice of God. And when the voice of God speaks, things happen. Life is formed. You're given life. But I submit to you this morning that those Old Testament saints had the same spirit of Christ in them that we have in us. We could look at many, many more examples. But, but there's, there's also a challenge in this. Okay. There's a responsibility in this. This is not something we take lightly. If you believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins and you love Him, it is because 1 John chapter 4, He loved you first. Okay? And if you believe, it is because He gave you faith when you were born again, which is fruit of the Spirit, to be able to believe and thank God for it. In closing, I'd like to turn your attention to one of these Old Testament saints whose experience we read about in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 11. We didn't talk much about this brother, although he was a great man of God, and that is Moses. We skipped all around. We didn't talk about Moses. But remember, Moses was a prophet. Moses went up to Sinai and was given the law by God and brought it down and led the people and prophesied to the people. He was born again. And his parents preserved him by faith, preserved his very life. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw that he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. These people in abject poverty, slavery, whose lives uh, were spared and, and had existence at the whim of a pagan king were not afraid. That's bizarre. That's against nature. Okay, But, you know, they have the Spirit of Christ, so they have faith, so they're not afraid of man. Now, did they understand everything about Jesus redeeming their souls? Some thousand, fifteen hundred years, however many years later? Probably not, but they had faith. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ. Greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Why? For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. I don't know what all Moses knew about God and about Jesus coming to be incarnate in flesh. I don't know exactly what knowledge he had about it, but I'll tell you this, he had respect for it. He had respect for the fact that he was a sinner. And the Spirit of Christ in him led him to forsake the pleasures and the riches of the greatest nation so far as we know at that time on the face of the earth. I've said this before, probably here. Those people did brain surgery. They built the pyramids. They buried in, in, in caskets of gold. I mean, he would have been at the top of the heap of that country and he turned it all down. Why? For the reproach of Christ. Because he had recompense, he had respect unto the recompense and if we have respect today into the sacrifice of Christ, if you have felt the Spirit of God in your heart, if you feel you have that in common with Moses and with Adam and with Eve, and you've heard the voice of God and it's convicted you of your sins and it has is, it is let you at times feel lifted up on high with an understanding of what He did for you, then we have a responsibility. It's to, it's to forsake Egypt and follow Christ. Because we esteem, I trust, as people who have been blessed to receive the Spirit of Christ, to have respect unto the Spirit of Christ. And to choose the reproach of Christ, if it be reproach in this life, over the pleasures of sin for a season. I thank you so much for your kind attention and, and uh, love you all in the Lord. Thank you, Brother Josh. Sing the first verse of Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but was like the
I'll say amen to everything that Brother Neil said. I also thought he had a very good-looking jacket on. I don't know if y'all noticed that, but I think we're wearing the same coat. <laughs> um, boy, he stirred my mind this morning, and um, what he was preaching about this morning is, in my opinion, is on the new birth is one of the most important doctrines to understand the Bible. If you can understand how people are born again, you can begin to understand how it is that people are saved. And I didn't intend to speak on this at all, but in the book of in the book of Revelation we get a picture of heaven and it says, they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For Thou wast slain and has redeemed us to God by Thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. <clears throat> Again, in the seventh chapter of Revelation, it says, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude. I want you all to catch those two words there. <laughs> a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hand, and cried, with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God, which sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. As we look at those pictures that the Lord has given us through His Word, of what, what I believe a picture of, of the people who will be gathered together in heaven, worshiping God, you, 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 you read those two words, it's a great multitude which no man the spirit went out of its way to express to us that it's a large group of people jesus christ himself told his disciples i go to prepare a place for you and he said in my father's house there are many mansions means a great number as old baptists we believe that there will be a great number of people in heaven worshiping god throughout all eternity I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand exactly what heaven's going to be like. I, I, I'll, I'll admit that to you today. I believe it'll be paradise. I believe it'll be wonderful. But here's what I do believe: I believe there'll be a lot of people there. <laughs> do y'all, do y'all believe that? You know, if the Bible taught that there'd be just a few there, I'd believe it. And I don't know how I'd feel, but I'd believe it if that's what the Bible said. But that's not what the Bible says, my friends. Anytime the Bible talks about heaven, it talks about a great number of people. Now, it, when it talks about the kingdom of God here on earth, the kingdom of heaven on earth, the good life, it, it uses uh, words like the narrow way, the, the straight gate, the narrow way, this, that there'll be very few that find it. And when it talks about a life of destruction, a life of misery, it says broad is the way that leads to those things. And I do believe that there are millions, probably. I could, I could, it'd be foolish for me to try to put a number on it, but there are thousands, millions, untold numbers of God's people who will be in heaven with God who are living in misery today. But aren't you glad to know that's, that whatever they do here today, whether they ruin their lives... When they draw their last breath, they'll be present with Christ. Because he love I love that, don't y'all? I love that. I, I wanna I wanna preach in such a way that, that the congregation here wants to, to live a good life. <laughs> you want to do what's right because not not so that we can line up and take a picture and say, look at all the good boys and girls at Vestavia. But because in doing what the Bible says, you really experience life. 
you know, you can you can lay hold on eternal life here, but you're not going to enjoy the the fullness of life, the eternal life, the the spirit of God if you're not walking in the way that God says to walk. So there are there there while we believe that there will be many in heaven, we do believe there'll be few that really experience it here in this life. But how could it be that there will be so many people, a people out of every nation? You know, we see on the news throughout the world, it's just chaos, right? And it's sad to read of nations even today where the where the where the word of God is uh, illegal. You could die for the very book that we have here today. You could die for possessing that book, but yet that's not going to stop God from saving one of His people in those nations. They're different nationalities. Uh, you know, can't get along. Fight. Different people groups can't get along, fight. <laughs> but one day they'll all be united around, around Jesus Christ, the one who was slain for them, that had redeemed them by his blood. He says that there'll be people out of every tongue. You know, that, uh, that, that means every language, I believe. And you know what's interesting is that there are many languages that that came and went before Jesus Christ ever came to earth. <laughs> but yet there'll be people, I believe this, there'll be people that spoke those languages that'll be worshipped that are right now in the presence of Christ. And they never heard the name of Jesus Christ. How could that be? <laughs> right? How, see, because what's, what's commonly taught is, is that something God uses something to get his people to heaven means right some type of means i went to a um my wife and i were invited to a parenting conference once and it it, it was a lot of good information it really was we need it <laughs> um and if you got children you need good information too don't you um but I thought one of the saddest things that it, it and it was like one of those it was three or four or five sessions, and it and it was like I said it was a lot of good information, but it, it kind of built up to this, you know, the this big reveal at the end, and the, and the the reveal was we've brought you here today to show you that you are the means in which God has employed to get your children to heaven. You are the means, and that crushed me because I'd enjoyed my weekend and it. I, I'm an old Baptist. I couldn't enjoy it anymore. <laughs> but I thought, what a weight to weigh on people. A burden that they cannot bear. We're never meant to bear. Couldn't possibly bear. <laughs> but yet, the people left that day thinking that I am the means by which my children um, will get to heaven. How I, how I behave, what I teach them, the things I say to them, the, things, the way they see me act. That's gonna, that's, that's what's gonna, God's going to use that in a way to get my, my, my children to heaven. And I thought what was interesting, they, they, they opened this whole conference by saying, raise your hand if you, were, if you were born into a family then you had devotions every night and you went to church every Sunday and you, know, you, just, you were the, the, the perfect Christian family, basically. Raise, raise your hand. <laughs> and nobody in the room, there's probably a thousand people there, nobody in the room raised their hand. And they said, if you were born into a family that didn't get it right and your parents fought and you, you know, you didn't have devotions every night. You might have missed church every once in a while. Raise your hand. And everybody raised their hand. And I thought at the end of it, that should have been obvious that it wasn't their parents that showed them they needed to be at this parenting conference. It wasn't their parents that showed them that they needed to, to follow Christ. It was God that showed them. Their parents were a mess, but yet they were there. Do y'all see that? And we could all raise our hand and say that our parents were a mess, but yet we're here. 
And one day my children, I hope they'll be here and they'll be able to say, well, Brother Josh and, and Sister Carrie had it together, but Brother Josh was a mess. <laughs> but yet I'm here. <laughs> but if you get nothing, and, and I, I promise you, I had a whole other sermon prepared. Y'all may get that next week. <laughs> but if you get nothing else out of this, if you're a parent of a young child, uh, you you want to raise a child in the way that they should go. The Bible teaches us that. The Bible teaches that 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 the mother and father are to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That we're to we're to discipline them. We're to show them the way that they should go. But listen here, child of God. It, even if you mess up over and over and over, their eternal salvation, the greatest need that they have, God did not give that to you. <laughs> He gave that to Himself. <laughs> to Himself. So as we look at verses that talk about this great multitude of people that will be in heaven, these people that have never heard the Gospel, these people that have never seen a church. See, we live in Birmingham, Alabama in 2022. You could, you could start at the top of this hill on a sled <laughs> and go all the way down and you'd see, what, ten churches probably. Go to Iraq and see if it's like that. Right? We we live with this American idea of what of what of what the world is like. But there are places that they don't you would say, Did you go to church today? They'd say, What's a church? Y'all understand that? That's not going to keep God from saving the people that have never heard of a church. <laughs> I'm thankful that I'm thankful that we that we we have the freedoms that we have here and the and the ability to worship like we have, but that's that hadn't helped. You know, a lot of people think America is so great, and we've sent missionaries around the world, and we've we've been we've been, uh, you know, America's done. I heard I heard once time that America's done more for the spread of the gospel than any other nation that's ever lived. That may be true, but America has not gotten one person into heaven that wouldn't have been there if America would have never existed. But how could it be? That's the question. How could it be? How could it be that there'll be this great multitude? Let's, if, if it was, if, if, let's say the gospel was the means of salvation. That's a very popular idea that, that, that the way that salvation typically works is that someone hears the word of God, they believe the word of God, and they're regenerated, right? They're, they're born again at that point, and now they're going to heaven. They, and, and you could add any, any, um, a list of things that people will say to do. Maybe you hear the word of God and you believe. You hear the word of God, you repent, and you you know you believe and you repent. You hear the word of God, you believe, you repent, and you're baptized. You you hear the word of God, you believe, you repent, you're baptized, and you persevere to the end. You can see men can add a list of things from very simple just believing to living a life of perfection until the end to say that's how you're going to be saved. If that was the case, think about all those people that Brother Neil just mentioned. From Saul to David, none of them had ever heard of a church. None of them had ever heard the gospel. But yet God, God saved them. We believe that, right? But if we just said that it was, the, it was just hearing and believing the gospel, well, you wouldn't have uh, pictures of the great multitude that are gathered around the throne, which no man can number. We can pretty much, multi we can pretty much number the people that have heard the gospel. We can. We can say the gospel's been around for 2,000 years, and we believe, I mean, we can't put an exact number on it, but you get an actuary, <laughs> they could figure it out for you. <laughs> Maybe I couldn't, but they could give you a pretty close number, but you can't number the, the number of people that are going to be in heaven. How could that be? It's because, you know what Jonah said when he, he finally came out of bondage? He said, salvation is of the Lord. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, there are people, there are people in America today that are in bondage to an idea that salvation is of the Lord, but it's partly to do with them. Yeah, salvation, that God has done His part, but yet they still need to do their part. That God... God has given them these children and He's done His part, but I need to be, I need to, to, to act in such a way and work in such a way that they are, 
that they will one day have the opportunity to go to heaven. And I'm going to tell you, that's a bondage that we cannot bear. Cannot. Cannot. I could not sleep at night if I thought, if I thought that my salvation was based upon what I did. I couldn't sleep at night. Whether that was, to, whether that was a simple, um, as simple as believing or holding tight to the end, um, I wouldn't have enough faith in my own faith that my faith could get me there because I know who I am. And you know who you are. Right? If I thought that my children's salvation was based upon something that I had to do or the way that I presented the Gospel to them, I promise you I would not sleep at night. Because I couldn't bear that. Brother Wesley and I, uh, Wesley Carter is here today. We've, we've been planning to build these two... Uh, deer stands uh, in Rockford, Alabama. It's about an hour from our house, a piece of property we've been hunting. And we have gotten, uh, over the course of time, we've we got the wood together, we cut the wood at home. You know, there's a lot of preparation that goes into doing this. And the, um, the key piece, when we've taken the wood down there and we, had the, we have the screws, we have the drill, we, and yesterday we were going to build the stands. Well, the key piece I had to order, it was, it was two stands and they have four brackets pieces, eight brackets. And so I ordered that and put it by the door because that's key. And so we drove down there an hour, hour and a half, unloaded all the stuff, got the wood together, and we're ready to do it. And I said, Wesley, where are the brackets? <laughs> and he said, I don't know. <laughs> You were supposed to get the brackets. <laughs> and I called Carrie and I said, she was at home. And I said, Carrie, are there two boxes in my office of black brackets? And she said, yeah, I saw them a minute ago and thought you might need them. <laughs> <laughs> now we had everything planned out and everything ready to go. But I dropped the ball on one little part and we wasted basically a whole day. <laughs> we had fun. Now, if salvation, if God had done 99% of that and said, yet yeah, here's your part to do, you know what you'd do? You'd show up at the, I hate to use language like this, but you'd show up at the gates and you know what they'd say, Josh, you forgot that bracket. You can't come in. That's what, that's who we are. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And to get into heaven, you can't fall short of the glory of God. You, <clears throat> God is holy. Peter, Peter, Peter says we should be holy because God is holy. He, he provokes us to holy living by showing us that God is holy. Do you all understand that? But we are yet sinful creatures, right? Made in the image of God. Made, made without sin, but yet through the actions of our forefathers and our own actions ourselves, we are, we are defiled. We are man in his very best state, the Bible says, is vanity. We sin. James talks about this. We are sin. We are sin. We are, we are, we are full, we're full of sin. Like, I wanted to preach this morning about children and about uh, coming uh, to, to Christ as children and, and Christ using children as showing uh, the humbleness of a child and, the, and, 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 and really the, 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 the lowness that a child sees themselves in the way that basically humbleness was the, was the, is, the, is the main subject that I'm showing there. And that is the way that we have to approach the church. But I'm going to tell you, if, if you can see yourself for what you are, you will be forced to be humble, won't you? Because even to our very core, we are corrupt. When, when Adam transgressed the law and, 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 and death came, he was corrupted completely. There wasn't a little bit of good left in him. When, when, when we come from the womb, we are speaking lies. The Apostle Paul would tell the Ephesians, and you who were dead 
What he means by that is that, that the, the part of you, the spirit of you, there was nothing in you that would seek after Christ. You were dead spiritually. We, and, and if you can ever see a glimpse of how wicked you are, you, you know that there's no way you could take part in your salvation. You're just full of sin. Even, our, even the things that we do, maybe y'all are just better than me, but the, even the, the good things I do, I see that sin is still present in me. I think I've told y'all this before. There was my neighbor. I didn't know him very well, but he had, he had gone out of town. Or no, no, no. He, he was, now, I watch his, now I watch his house when he goes out of town. We've, we've gotten to know each other, but this is before I knew him. But I had gotten home from work one day and he still had, we have, Every other week, we have two garbage cans that come out, recycling and the regular trash. And, and I saw his, and I took mine in, and his were still out. His are never still out. He must have been gone or something. But he's, he's on top of things. <laughs> and I thought, that's odd. His, his cans are still out. So I rolled them down for him. I didn't really even know him. And as I was walking back up his hill after rolling that second one down, you know, I've done a really good thing. And the thought hit my mind. I wish he'd see me right now. <laughs> I did. I wish he'd just get a glimpse of the good thing that I've done. See, even when I was trying, and I think I was trying to do it out of a pure heart, but my heart's not pure. <laughs> and you know what? Sin, the Bible says in James, that sin, when it is finished, brings forth death the best that we could possibly bring forth is just death who wants that but god christ who is holy he's undefiled he's separate from sinners you know what it says when he said it is finished you know what he brought forth life and salvation, and security, and freedom. Do you see the difference? <laughs> I want to worship Him. How could it be? How could it be? That verse that Brother Neil read to us, John chapter 3. Verse 8. As, as Christ is teaching Nicodemus about the new birth, and, and Christ says to him, Marvel not that I say unto you, or say unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou hearest the sound thereof, but you can't tell where it comes or where it goes. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. That my friends, if you want to understand how does God save His people, how is there going to be a great multitude of every nation, of every kindred, of every tribe, of every tongue, of every blood, how is that possible? It's possible because everyone who has ever been regenerated, everyone whose heart has ever been changed, everyone that's ever been born again has been born again the exact same way through the sovereign grace of God. <laughs> The exact same way. In, in Galatians, in the book of Galatians, I'm going to turn there. I believe it's chapter 4. Yeah, Galatians chapter 4. Verse 28, it says, Now we brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise, but as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit. <laughs> How, how, was, how, was, how was his heart changed? How was Saul's heart changed? How was David's heart changed? How was Job's heart changed? How was Lot's heart changed or Abraham's heart changed? The same way your heart was changed through the Spirit of God. Going where it wants to, when it wants to, how it wants to, whenever it wants to, wherever it wants to. Anywhere. There was a very popular evangelist, a preacher in, in, in Birmingham for many years. He's... he's 
He's not here anymore, but he wrote he wrote a book on on how people are saved. And there was a chapter in the book that says we are plan A and there is no plan B. And I've probably told you that before, but how 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 and, and I've, I've, I'm not I'm not casting stones at this man. I'm, I've, I've read the book. It was a good book. It challenged me. But in the book, it says that we are we're talking about getting people to heaven and that we are plan A and there is no plan B. I'm telling you, we weren't in the plan. <laughs> We weren't in the planning phases. You were, if you're saved today, you were, you were chosen before the world ever was. God chose a people, an innumerable people, a people out of, uh, out of every walk of life, out of every class of society, out of every nation in the world. God chose them. Millions upon billions of people is what I believe will be in heaven. I believe heaven will be, will be Full of a, of a diverse group of people. You know, I've told you that if you don't like diversity here, you're going to hate heaven because heaven's going to be diverse. But to say that we would be plan A and there is no plan B, we weren't even around when the plan started. We were the reason he needed a plan. Y'all understand that? Without us, he didn't have to plan. We're the ones that messed it up. And God chose an innumerable people before the foundation of the world and He sent His Son into the world to save those people. And those people that His Son saved, He's going to see to it that they are regenerated by His Spirit. Just like Isaac, just like Abraham, just like David, just like Saul, just like Job, just like Paul, just like Peter. They were all going to be born again the same way. And you say, what? But what do I have to do? There must be something I have to do to get that spirit. I want you, I want you to read Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6 with me. It says, and because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Why, why did God send His Spirit into your life? It wasn't because you figured it out and you said, yeah, I'll accept Him now. It wasn't uh, because you prayed a prayer. It wasn't because you walked an aisle. It wasn't because you were the son of some influential preacher or the son of some influential uh, lady. It was because you were a son of God. And if you're His Son, it's because He picked you and you didn't pick Him. And because you are sons, He sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts crying, Abba, Father. Do y'all see that? And, when the, and when, the, when the grace of God comes into your life, it radically changes your life. Do y'all believe that? It says, Titus closes chapter 2 by saying, For the grace of God that appeared to all men, for the grace of God hath appeared to all men, teaching us, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously in this present world. If today your heart is crying out to one above, if today you feel like I'm, I'm, I'm not adding up, I need, I need to, uh, I need to escape this perverse world. I need this ungodliness that's in the world, this, this nastiness that's in the world. I feel this need to escape it. Where many would say, okay, your need is that you need to do this so that you'll be born again. I'm telling you, the Word of God says the only reason that you would ever feel that is because you've already been born again. For the child of God that desires to be saved, they're too late. They're saved already. Don't y'all love that? <laughs> too late. You're already saved. Already. Y'all see that? That's because God is the author of salvation. That's because salvation is of the Lord. I don't know if any of this has made sense, but I tell you what, it may not motivate you to be better, but I hope God is honored. That's what we're here to do. I want to, I want to preach messages that make you want to be better people. I want to preach messages that I need to make you be better fathers, mothers, children of God. But I'm going to tell you the main reason we're here is not for that. The main reason we're here is to honor God. And you know the best way to honor God is to talk about what God has done for His people. To talk about the great... In a world where God is minimized, God is cast down, God is relegated to a part of the salvation process, I'm going to tell you, I believe God is honored when men and women will simply say, God has done it all. And I'm just the passive beneficiary of God's grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for this day.
Thank you for Brother Neil's message on the grace of God, on the spirit of God that goes wherever it wants to go. That's been working since the, since the beginning of time. <laughs> the same spirit, the same power, the same wind that created this earth is still around regenerating hearts even this day. The same power, the same spirit that resurrected our Lord from the grave is the same spirit that has resurrected our heart from the dead so that we could believe in him. And we praise you for that power, God. And God, our heart's desire and prayer to you today is that you would open up doors in Birmingham, Alabama, that we could speak this truth of this sovereign, holy God who has done everything for our eternal salvation from start to finish, that, that those who are going about to establish their own righteousness through something that they may do, whether they've been taught that, uh, whether they've been misled in that, and that they are now in bondage to a work system of, have I done it right? Did I do it enough? Do, am I really a child of God? That we, you would open up doors to us, Lord, that we could just, we could, in our weak way, that we could speak the gospel to them that Jesus was enough that God is enough, that, that Christ wasn't a would-be Savior, but He was a successful Savior. And that they could see what those words, it is finished, means. It means it's finished, it's over. And that they could rest with us in the finished work of Christ. We praise You, God, for that. Help us to understand for the week to come as we walk and talk and go about our our day. May, may you bless us in a special way for the next week to understand what a privilege and what a blessing we have as the people of God to understand that the work is finished. To understand what peace that brings. To understand what calm that brings to our life. To know that the greatest, the greatest problem we have ever had or will ever have was accomplished, was finished, was was taken away by you on our behalf. Help us to understand that. And it is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.